0: Welcome to Feed Learning People podcast, a podcast where fellow humans share their vulnerable moments and how they navigated sticky situations throughout their careers. We've all been there, so let's learn from each other. My name is Jesse, and today I'm here with Christina Nguyen. Hi everyone, today I'm here with Christina Nguyen. She has my same last name, but no relation, just an old friend back from the University of Houston days. Go Cougs! In this episode, learn Christina's secrets of a salesperson, including how to ask clarifying questions to understand her clients' needs, the power of communication and language, and her advice on negotiations. She'll also share about the time she broke down and cried in front of her team after she admitted fault, and how that pivotal moment shaped her into the servant leader she is today. And Christina has a potty mouth, more so than my brother in episode five, so please don't listen in front of the kids. Hope you enjoy this episode and check out feedlearning.com slash podcast for the show notes. All right, Christina, so before we get to your resume, um, how do we know each other? Uh, When did we first meet?
1: That goes back way back in the day, like 2004, right? Yeah, we played a grass tournament in Dallas or no Oklahoma, Um, but it's definitely volleyball. It was through some mutual friends of ours. I went to U of H. They went to St. Thomas. I don't know how we knew each other. Yeah. And we did. Yeah. All
0: right. So let's go ahead and get straight to it. Can you scan your resume starting from when you graduated U of H?
1: First job was real corporate job was a project manager um, in this telecommunications company here in Houston. I decided, you know, this is not what I wanted. Then I went Uh back to U of H for my MBA in business. And that was totally my vibe. And then I applied for jobs again. So then what I found was that I either, because I only had like two and a half years of corporate, when I tried for like lower management jobs or like a marketing manager job, I was either overqualified because of my degree or underqualified Mm -hmm. because I didn't have five years experience in corporate. So I was stuck in no man's land again. Fast forward, um, I started interning for an advertising firm, worked for free just to build my resume again, which you would think you should be doing that in college. So memo to Christina, should have done that way back then. And I had to start over. And so I finally was able to find a job through a volleyball friend.
0: Nice. She had a
1: small, I guess, an education consulting firm local Mm -hmm. in Houston, and she took a leap of faith on me. And my role with that was I was like the office manager because it's a small business. I was the office manager mm-hmm. and I was also um, the marketing and I also did sales. I had to sell like packages of tutoring packages or or SAT, ACT packages for tutoring. Mm-hmm. And so I learned a lot about that. Um, and then fast forward to that. um I was looking for a job again because I realized I kind of this is not really what I want to do. If you notice, there's a reoccurring theme here. Yeah. Don't know who I am. Don't know what I want. Don't know Uh what I want to do. And um, I wanted to get my real estate license. And then my a buddy of mine, he was like, "Hey, you need to look into this firm." And I think they're in alignment with some of the values that you have. And. I said, yeah, sure. I'm about to get my license. So I got my license. I interviewed with them, the Loken group today. I got the job and I guess the CEO saw something in me and he knew in the back of his mind, he didn't tell me anything at the time, but he knew in the back of his mind that, that yeah, she's gonna be the VP of outside sales, but she's just gotta go Mm -hmm. through the training process. She's got the mind and everything. So I didn't know what he saw in me at the time, nor did mm-hmm. I know his plan until I went through like the sales training and then I became a listing agent in our team, which means you focus hundred percent on only selling people's homes. No buying, no nothing, just selling. And then I got promoted to VP. And so here we are today.
0: How do you know if you are doing what you want to do right now?
1: That's a good question. I'll tell you what I do know. So then it, what really helps me decide was figuring out what I didn't like. And then figuring out what's worth the sacrifice. And sacrifice okay. can mean time, effort, um, unhappiness, or stress, right? So mm-hmm. I realized that what I didn't like was backstabbers. When you and I first met, Jesse, mm-hmm. I was like, a happy-go-lucky person, very bubbly, um, slightly naive, and really wanted to make everybody happy. I was a people pleaser mm-hmm. to a point where it would even—I would even sacrifice my own happiness. Like, oh, I know he's kind of taking advantage. Like, he's asking for my notes in class, and I know that he only wants my notes. He's just being nice to me for that. Like, Even though I knew that, I still shared my class notes, right? And so, I, I was that person. Up until like I tore my ACL then I realized who my true friends were which weren't that many and it was a I remember that time yes and I I went from trying to make everybody happy and Mm -hmm. it would really bother me when someone didn't think didn't like me and I would work so hard to try to make them like me to then after my ACL injury I was just basically like fuck all of you guys Uh fuck you until I like you you got to earn my trust and my respect before
0: I can let you in my circle what and what happened what happened after after <laughs> your ACL tear that made you realize that
1: I had a victim mentality at the time. Like, why did this happen? God, like, what did I do? I'm nice to everybody. Like, yeah, I was in my peak volleyball. I had a high verticals kicking ass. And, mm-hmm. and now I can't even wipe my own ass. Someone has to help me do it because <laughs> my knee is in a case. Right. And that was like only the first few days. But when I went back to you of age, it was like, people didn't even help me hold the doors. And, Jeez. Uh-huh. you know, they weren't like, Oh my God, what happened to you? They just let me continue. They didn't even, Show me like any mm-hmm. empathy, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so that's when I realized like, oh my God, Christina, the world is not how you see it. And so what I realized that what I didn't like at the time was people that I can't trust. I didn't like being backstabbed. I didn't like seeing other people throw other people underneath the bus. I didn't like people that did not have personal accountability. So then... What I realized I did like is I liked more of like a team aspect because mm-hmm. I, I like volleyball. What do you like about mm-hmm. volleyball, Christina? Well, I like how it's very positive, encouraging, and authentic. And mm-hmm. people are like, hey, good job. Or, hey, you got the next one. And if you screw up, they don't get mad at you. Well, depending mm-hmm. on whoever
2: team Depending you is. who you oh, play right? with. <laughs> but, but You and I are very picky with yeah. who you play with, yeah. right?
1: Like yeah. We want to yeah. um, play with people we vibe well with. And so... I liked that. I liked that. I recognize I'm not good at everything. And so mm-hmm. I have other people on my team, team that is good at other things. So we work better together. I like that. I mm-hmm. realized that I liked being in a positive work culture, work environment. I'm okay with working hard. And I, and I like working with other people that work just as hard. You don't have to be the one pulling their weight. So that's how I knew. So when you ask yourself, what don't you like? What, mm-hmm. what is a belief or a value that you're not willing to sacrifice? And, 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 and how I see that, how you can ask yourself that is, if you are the CEO of your company and you are running it, on what grounds would you fire someone over? Mm. And whatever that is, the opposite of that would be your value.
0: I like that. That's a good approach to if anyone is like looking for a job. They're like, okay, how do I pick The best job. Let's say I have like three offers on the table. Which one's the best for me? Is it like, do I find one that has the, you know, pays me the most? The one that has the shortest commute? But I like your approach of like, what are the values? Figure out what you don't like and find the opposite of that. And that's what is going to be your values. Because at the end of the day, if the job doesn't meet your values or your needs, you're going to be feeling bad every time you go home, right? Exactly. Yeah. And your values yeah. can
1: change, right? Like, for example, there was a point in time where I needed money. I didn't care what. I was willing to sacrifice the majority of my values so that I can get money to pay my bills and at least put maxing out on my credit cards, right? Mm-hmm. So, so nothing else mattered but career and money. And however, when things got balanced, I was able to take scale back on that and then focus on different values that also meant a lot.
0: What are your values now? And what molded your values that you have now? Was it religion, spirituality? Was it, you know, the backstabbers that you had to deal with in your past career? Like, yeah, what are your values and and how did it get where it is today? I was dating somebody, um, a very
1: cool guy. We dated for about six and a half years through college. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot about myself during that time that uh, it didn't work out we separated ways and I realized that there were three values that as I grew older post-college I wasn't willing to sacrifice Mm -hmm. and in my mind how that works is like a triangle the bottom foundation is respect respect for yourself respect for others respect for elderly respect for those that are not as fortunate as you just respect in general and then the second is family like, I wanted to be with somebody that would be willing to do anything for your family. But in a way where, like, they would get it. Like, if you got a call in the middle of the night because mom or dad needed some milk, which is a dumb thing to ask for, but you just do it because they're family. <laughs> uh-huh. And versus someone that's very logical would be like, that's dumb. Why can't they wait until tomorrow, right? Yeah. Um. To And the last part was faith at the very tip of my triangle. And uh, for me my criteria isn't that strict it's just just have faith have faith in something other than satanism have faith in god a higher divine being have faith in that there is an alternative universe or power out there that when things are so hard to cope in everyday life Mm -hmm. that you're so sad or so mad or whatever that you can lean
0: on to uplift you faith that's it So just basically have that faith and hope that it'll work out at the end of the day? Yep. Okay, so some people would be like, no, you you need to take control. You gotta do something about it. You can't just wait uh, and see and hope for the best. You you have to take control. Do you feel that you need to have that control too or you're just like, no, it'll it'll work out? I'm a control freak to a point where
1: my wedding planner, one of them fired me or she quit. (laughs) (laughs) So, oh, yikes. Yeah. So I, and I'm also very difficult to work with. I told her like, look, this is who I am. Do you let me know what you need from me? I'm hands off until there's a problem. Then I'm all over it. And you better have wished that never happened. So long story short, we had some issues with our guest room booking. So I was all over it. She couldn't handle it. Uh And one of the things I struggle with is perfectionism. What I know now is perfectionism doesn't exist. And also, I prefer not to be perfect. And it's just so much easier. So I have books in my shelf back here that you'll see that don't sweat the small stuff. Because Uh I used uh to sweat
0: everything. Why did you used to sweat the small things? And why did you used to be a perfectionist? How I was raised. My
1: parents growing up, that they would only praise me when I would make a 95 or higher
2: Mm-hmm, on the mm-hmm.
1: report card and if I make a hundred on my report card I get five dollars right so yeah. I knew I could always count on PE because I was like a <laughs> to get five dollars but everything else so like just striving for that 100 it started with that my mom even made me copy the dictionary because she said I write like shit so during junior high I copied the dictionary then I was really fussing with it she's like fine copy whatever book you want to copy but at least write me six pages front and back so I copied um, Baby Scissors Club and Goosebumps. And that just gave away my age. So, so basically I copied those books growing up. Yeah. And so everything had to be perfect. And so as you go to college or real life where you've got to make your own decisions and sometimes you make the wrong decision and you learn mm-hmm. from that mistake, I realized really hard that I cannot be perfect. And, and so there was a lot of meltdowns. So I prefer now that... I've accepted through a lot of failures that I can only be the best that I can be. And if, and this is where faith comes in, if I'm experiencing some sort of hardship or like there's a lesson to be learned, then it's a lesson that God wants me to learn and helps me accept mm-hmm. that a little bit better.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you were talking about the, the whole control freak part. Uh, I kind of cut you off in the question. Where were you going with?
1: Do I like to control everything? It depends on what it is. So I used to be a control freak up until I started this job at the Logan Group. Um, Mm -hmm. During the highest peak of my career, I had 126 clients that I was working Mm -hmm. with. And I closed 26 houses. I sold 26 houses, record breaking the company in a month. Wow. And I had so many meltdowns. I was losing hair. I um, hated myself. So to to put things into perspective, uh, statistically, an average agent sells about 10 to 12 houses a year. I sold 26 in one month. Mm -hmm. And that's not without like, it's all the Loken Group, their support, their marketing, all that, right? I was really busy. I didn't have time to sleep. I barely had time to eat. Um, Mm -hmm. So what helped me through that is that I had to start to pick and choose what can I control? What can I not control? What can I do about it? And what's really important in this moment? What's Mm -hmm. the Eisenhower matrix, what's urgent and important in this moment. And so now I've carried that into integrated into my life. Now, when I wake up and I'm like, what's important, you really want to make your bed? Yeah, we'll make your bed fine. But then what about, do you have to know what you're going to eat next or what are you going to wear or Mm -hmm. how your day looks? So my day is planned because I don't have a choice, um, every day is mapped out Monday through Friday. You'll see my time blocking my schedule because if I don't carve out time, including personal time, it doesn't exist. There's a, yeah. there's a rule that if it's not on your calendar, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, I've stayed organized in that space, but I've given myself some grace and not
0: having mm-hmm. it perfect. You mentioned the Eisenhower matrix for people who don't know what the Eisenhower matrix is. It's essentially a, what, four box grid that talks about urgency versus importance. Right. It's
1: Four quadrants, and so at the top of it is level importance, either important or not important.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: another is urgent, urgent or not urgent. So, for example, picking up your kids after daycare, or once all this is back to normal after daycare, right? You know that there's a deadline. If you pick them up one minute after six o'clock, it's $25 a minute or whatever daycare your daycare charges. Mm-hmm. So that's important and that's urgent, right? Mm-hmm. It's important and urgent, important and not urgent, urgent but not important and non-important, not urgent. Mm-hmm. So anything in the non-important and non-urgent quadrant, that any task on that, whether work or personal related, then you know that you should be able to figure out how to leverage that. Mm -hmm. Right. It's all about figuring out what truly is important in that time in terms of tasks that needs to be done, because one of the resources that we have, all of us have that's very limited is time.
0: Mm -hmm. Let's talk about like your organizational skills, prioritization. So you're juggling a lot and you're barely sleeping, barely eating. What's your system to stay organized? You got calendars. Do you use sticky notes? How do you stay organized?
1: So you got to understand how your brain works, right? Okay. Do you work better with reminders? Do you work better with writing it down to really remember? When, when you prioritize, the number one thing, especially you have a lot to do, a lot of clients, we got to remember their names, what their house looks like. Imagine getting 100 to 200 emails every hour, mm-hmm. right? That's like how busy That's a lot. Our, our top producing agents on our team would have to manage. And one of the things is write everything down. Do not make your mind remember everything. That shit doesn't exist. If you wanna say that, oh yeah, I'm a good, I memorize everything, like, yeah, until you get super busy, why put that stress on your brain? What I did was every day I'd have a piece of paper that I wrote everything that I needed to do that I can think of, or Mm -hmm. as the day goes by, I'd write it down. Before the end of the night, I'd have to look at that scribble that I wrote, then I'd have to highlight or put a star to, okay, this is what I gotta do. Mm-hmm. what's urgent and important. And then I looked at, okay, what else do I really need to do? Who do I need to follow up that if I don't call this person back right away, they're going to complain about me. So I figured mm-hmm. all that out. Mm-hmm. I reorganize the, the thoughts. So usually every day I have something like this, like I have a notepad that I write. And at the top left is offers for me is that is money making. If I do not negotiate this offer, if I not fight for it or whatever, I don't get paid. That's my urgent and important. If I don't do that activity or task or handle it, I'm mm-hmm. not gonna bring money home. Then next is prepares negotiations, and then I have follow up. Then I have urgent. So you just categorize based on that. First off, write everything down. Whether it's important, you have to write
0: it like pen and paper, or can you type it and put it on your phone?
1: Great question. Depends on your brain. Okay right? I, re- I did the whole phone thing because we have Apple phones. We have all these apps. There's Evernote. There's these to-do apps and you can do all of that. You can do voice memos. What I realized is I'm a little bit more old school. I'd rather just see it right then, right there.
0: So I want to talk a little bit more about sales. How can you tell the difference between a good salesperson and a bad salesperson?
1: So at the end of the day, there's three things. When a client decides to choose you as their salesperson, regardless of real estate, it's because they liked you, they respect you, and they trust you. When you don't have those three, you need to figure out where you lost that rapport. It's human connection, right? Mm -hmm. As salespeople, you got to read people. And in real estate, when you're dealing with someone's biggest investment in their entire life, you've got to earn their trust. When, Mm -hmm. when you are dealing with, or you're trying to sell something, you got to understand psychology. Yeah. Why are they selling their house? What's important to them about that? It, why did they call you out to come to their house or why are they buying a house? What would it do for them? How would it improve their life? We as human beings, we tend to go away from pain and towards pleasure. When you can understand that at a very high level, you can understand where they're coming from. You got to have empathy. You got to have compassion. You got to give a shit. And when you don't, you're going to come across as fake.
0: How do you build that empathy? How do you get better at understanding what they want?
1: Asking powerful questions.
0: When someone calls you and they say, oh, I want to list my house, you're asking those questions to them. What are those powerful questions?
1: So this can relate from either sales or whether you're leading and managing or coaching people, right?
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You
1: You want to ask like, hey, what's important to you about that? What would that do for you if blank? What would happen if you didn't do this? What would happen if you did this? Who else are you impacting if you were to do this? Um, to, and if I were to put it in, in real estate perspective, what's got you thinking about selling your home? What would it do for you if you were to move to Dallas? What, what's waiting for you in Dallas? What would happen if you didn't move to Dallas? Mm-hmm. Maybe you do this in the coaching. What would it do for you to, sell three, to get three executed contracts this week? What would happen if you did it? What would happen if you had no houses to sell for three months? Who else are you impacting? How would your kids feel if you were able to look at them and say, I'm not able to take you to Disneyland because I wasn't able to get three contracts executed that I, that I thought I could, right? And yeah. this is how the power of communication, the power of language mm-hmm. um, and, and asking questions
0: can be. Yeah. So you ask those questions, you get all this information. How do you synthesize that information? Like, what do you do with that information?
1: First off, I write it down, because I can't remember Uh shit. (laughs) Um, I write it down, and... And then I look at what's important to them and it's also getting their buy-in too. It's like, does that make sense? There's a, there's a course that we take here at Keller Williams called language of sales and it has a lot of, and also some background information. I'm a master practitioner for NLP neuro linguistic Mm -hmm. programming. So it utilizes a lot of language and linguistics. Right. Uh And for example, tie downs, doesn't that make sense? Don't you agree? Right. You're, you want to, when you're asking questions like, um, like, hey, I understand. I know how important it is for you to get your house sold, and I, I understand also understand that you want to get a house sold for as much as possible, and in amidst this COVID nineteen situation, wouldn't you agree that there's a lot of people that are really being careful in what houses are buying because money is at stake, right? that that i just asked you certain questions i had yeah. a leading question i had a leading the question yeah. then i had a tie down right so mm-hmm. you want to utilize a lot of those modal operators presuppositions a lot of these linguistics um into your language and that's how you how i synthesize i i i get it all together i figure out the big picture what their pain points are if they didn't sell they would have to be carrying two mortgages boom right there and then I okay. dig deeper to what does two mortgages look like? If one's at 1800 or $2,000 and one's at $3,000, that's $5,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Then I translate that. That's $60,000 a year. Boom, mm-hmm. right there. You're willing to risk $60,000 a year? Let's drop your price so we can get this household. You don't have to continue carrying two mortgages. Because mm-hmm. what would the cost of $5,000 do for your family?
0: So when you're talking to people, are you kind of like tapping into their subconscious minds and kind of like...
1: yes. So in person, these questions that you're asking us, because we are in like a video Zoom at the same time, Uh you ask me Uh a question, you see me looking up. From a neuro-linguistic standpoint, by looking up a certain way, you know that I'm trying to pull some data and also that I'm a visual learner. So when you ask me a question, how to think about it, you know that, okay, A, Christina is a visual learner. So how you would integrate that with the unconscious mind is, I can see what you're saying, Rather than I hear what you're saying or I feel what you're saying. So it's super important. And this can help with also like communicating with Mike. Hey, help me understand why that pissed you off, right? Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. or, what's important about that to you? And these are questions we don't ask every day. In fact, one of my favorite couples exercise that I learned from a um, leadership course was what I need from you. And it's not, I need you to shut up or get me a beer or Coors or make me a sandwich, right? It's not about that, right? (laughs) Bitch, bring me a Coors or make me a sandwich.
2: No. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like that. (laughs) Nothing like
1: that. (laughs) It's more of like, look, I just need you that when I'm asking you questions and I'm talking to you, that you say, mm hmm, okay, like you're just showing me that you're actually listening because you're kind of just staring at me. Or right now, I'm feeling really emotional. And I'm, and I I don't know what it is. I'm really stressed with work right now. And Mm -hmm. what I just really need from you is just a little bit more sympathy and a softer hand than how I usually am right now. Yeah. Or, or I'll be like, Hey, I'm looking at my birth control pack and I think I'm starting (laughs) my period in four days. Uh I'm going to be PMSing. So I'm gonna need you to give me 50 feet,
2: right? I I do that too. (laughs) Right. So like,
1: it's, it's it's just really like, I just, Uh I just need you to tell me that you appreciate me. And that I'm important to you. Well, duh, Christina. I put a, <laughs> you know, a, a, an engagement ring on your finger. I'm planning this wedding with you. you. Of course, I love you. Of course, he's gonna think that. But it's mm-hmm. just how you communicate, and it just elevates your relationship at a deeper level.
0: You as a salesperson—is it you who you are naturally, or is it someone different? Like, do you have to put up a front when you're a salesperson?
1: Oh, I got a juicy story for you. The answer to that. <laughs> Is no, I'm totally different. When I am going to someone's house, I've trained my brain to basically flip a switch. I am not Christina Wynn anymore. I am whoever I'm supposed to be to gain trust, build rapport and earn their respect. So I got to understand that like, okay, where's all this coming from? Are you hurting inside? How can I help you? right? Mm-hmm. You got to come from contribution and curiosity and care. And so I do have to change that, uh, flip of the switch in my head. Cause as you can tell, I'm a hot tempered person and I recognize that's a weak point of mine. So I've got to really work on my filter. I'm a very candid person too. And mm-hmm. so I got to work on my filter. And so when I come in, I truly am a social chameleon
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and I, I've got to be authentic in that space because read, people can see right through you. And so I got to just, prioritize in that moment what's important to them. How can I help them? How can I serve them? What Mm -hmm. can we really do from the Loken group and really get them taken care of? And I got to switch that switch because if I don't, then I'm going to show up how I am in real life outside of work. So we're in an industry of servitude. We got to serve our clients. And it's different. Just just like um, waitresses and waiters, Mm -hmm. they don't have to like everybody, but they still got to be nice to everybody. Mm -hmm. They might spit in your food and then behind the scenes, but they're so nice to you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel fake when you have to switch that social switch and be that chameleon?
1: In my head, I have really trained myself to be authentic with them in that moment. And then when I'm gone, I can be myself, right? Because I know that I do have to communicate in a very versatile, flexible way so that I can adapt to their style. For example, when you're saying certain one of the things you do very well, I don't know if you have training in this or innately that is in your brain, that you will use the words that I use back. That's sales. I do that? Yes, you do that. So that's how you show that you're actively listening. And I love that you bring this up because... Oh, I hope he doesn't listen to this. So... (laughs) Mike and I, um, he happened to hear Mike, me. Mike, listen, what a like, listen to this, Mike. <laughs> we talked about it. We got into a huge fight. So he heard one of my my sales calls with my clients, uh-huh. right? My uh-huh. clients, they were older, um, and I was walking them through a contract. It was like nine thirty p.m. on a Friday, and I was walking them through it and giving them examples of like, this is typically what happens, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Then I asked him, he was just sitting there and I was like, well, we just got a deal done. We're about to get a contract executed. He was like, cool. I kind of could hear it left and right. And then I asked him, what do you think? And then he flat out said, you bullshitted them. (sighs) Oh, that offended me. Uh Because first off, I wasn't prepared for that kind of feedback. I thought I did a really good job. I gained rapport. Because earlier in the day, they were blowing up my phone and they were you know, really upset and yelling at me. So like I was able to get past that and really be more on the happier side with them, mm-hmm. nice to them, and he sees the real me. So mm-hmm. he knew I was quote unquote bullshitting so that as a salesperson, I was like, can you help me understand what does bullshitting look like to you? What does what is that meaning in your world? What's your internal representation of that word? Because it could be literally poop feces that comes out of a (laughs) bull's asshole. That wasn't the case, clearly, in this situation, right? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) gosh. So it wasn't that. He Uh said I was being completely fake.
2: And Uh I
0: took
1: offense to that. And I was like... Oh, the bad side of Christina came out my ego, my pride, everything came out like, I told him, well I'm one of the top producing agents or used to be on the team and how dare you say that I'm good at what I do and we got them to sign the offer, did we not? And within ethics too because I even told him like look I can't guarantee if this buyer is going to proceed with buying your house it just means that mm-hmm. one, we're one step closer to doing so and Mike was just like no you just straight up bullshit so we got into a huge fight because he saw the inauthenticity Mm-hmm. that I was presenting versus in my mind I was authentic enough for the sellers to say i really so glad that we decided to work with you we like working with you we're going to sign the offer tonight so I had two different realities that were being presented to me so to share with you how I feel I think I'm doing a bomb ass job <laughs> versus someone who knows me on a very close level thinks yeah. I'm bullshitting so I, I can't yeah. tell you it, it was a uh, an aha moment for me mm-hmm. um, that Man, maybe I maybe I am fake. Yeah. But to me as a salesperson, you got to get into that mindset of how can I help you be truthful, ethical, with integrity and guide you through the process. And yeah. that's what I do.
0: Yeah. And I think it's not just in sales too. Because earlier you mentioned that how like you have to adapt to the person.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's in any job, like in the corporate setting, like you're going to work with so many personalities and sometimes their personality or their values are different from yours. But in order to get what you need, you just have to be flexible and adapt to them. It doesn't necessarily mean you're being fake. You're just adapting.
1: There is an uh, NLP presupposition. Resistance in a client is a sign of lack of rapport. There are no Mm -hmm. such thing as resistant clients only inflexible communicators so the more flexible you can be with your communication the less resistance you should get the more rapport you should gain and the faster and the closer you will to get
0: to end result you just like remember that definition somewhere I did I did that's why I had to close my eyes I was yeah. like stating I'm a visual learner so I was like yeah. looking at the words yeah <laughs> nice yeah yeah you, The more flexible you are, the more rapport that you can build with that person. Yes. Right? Very cool. You do a lot of negotiating. Yes. Any tips on being a good negotiator?
1: Absolutely. A good negotiator makes everyone feel like they've won something at the end of the day. Okay. So here, I want to make sure my sellers feel like they won. The buyers feel like they won. The buyer agent and I feel like we won something. And it, it it's at the cost of some sacrifice and a lot of compromise, right? One very good book to read is Never Split the Difference. Okay. and And it's an amazing book to showing how to negotiate. Now, also a part of negotiating is understanding that person's pain points and what would make them happy, what would piss them off, what would make them cry, what would keep them up at night. When you're mm-hmm. able to understand that, then mm-hmm. you can communicate in such a way, synthesize synthesizes what the word yeah. you used earlier, and get them to from A to B.
0: Hi, y'all. So I just wanted to take a quick break to tell you a little bit more about feed learning, Feed Learning is an HR and talent consulting firm that helps build sustainable teams through interactive and virtual training courses, one-on-one coaching for managers, and HR process improvement strategies. And of course, we can do everything virtually. We also have a bunch of free online resources to help you throughout your career. So check us out on feedlearning.com or follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram. And now back to the show with Christina. Have you felt burnout at work? Oh, well, I guess you did because the whole 26. Still losing area. my hair.
1: Still working on growing it back right here. This
0: bald patch right here. <laughs> That's your physical response to stress is yes. uh, losing hair there.
1: Because I, I'm stubborn. I tend to just focus on what can I do next? What can I do next? What can I do uh-huh. next? I work myself uh-huh. to the ground until I don't listen to my body.
0: Yeah.
1: One of the things that I'm getting back to now at age 36, which I wish I started sooner, was mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So Monday through Friday, I have this group, created a group in my organization where it's like mental recharge, right? Like just re-zap re- everything. So we do basic yoga moves, nothing like the pretzel. We just do like child's pose or downward dog for about 10 minutes. Then we meditate for 10 minutes, various guided uh-huh. meditations, headspace, whatnot. And so, and some of that's mindfulness, like just being mm-hmm. present and feeling the energy, the weight, everything around you and being present to your emotions. Mm-hmm. And being authentic with yourself because being raised as Asians, when you cry, is a sign of weakness. Yeah. You know, don't be weak. Don't show weakness. And so I've had to really mold out of that programming that Mm -hmm. when I'm being emotional or when I'm crying, it's not because I'm weak. It's just emotions leaving the body is what it is.
0: Do you feel that the, the meditation and that mindfulness has helped you kind of separate what you were taught growing up to who you want to be today? Like, how did you kind of overcome, like, you know, breaking that chain of what your parents kind of ingrained in you, instilled in you growing up?
1: Reframe and acceptance. So, for example... I would at one point in time I was like mad at my parents for being so strict on me. I didn't have the true college life. You know, after going to U of H I'd commute back home, straight home. Even to this day I'm drug free. Like I mm. I am so curious about how it is to take a hit of weed. Like I can say like, you some uh, I'm sure you could.
0: I just, I from California, it's right?
1: Like it's not illegal; it's legal here, right? I've got some friends that offer me their THC vape pens and stuff, and I'm just—I can't get myself to do that. Like I was so rigid, right? And so, so I saw that as they were just trying to protect me. I, of course, this is like reflecting back that they just yeah. love me; they're trying to protect me in a world. And also, I realized I reframed that in my head. So you got to mm-hmm. acknowledge it. They just mm-hmm. loved me. And they cared about me. They wanted what's best for me. They wanted me to have what they didn't have.
0: Okay. Versus not saying, oh, they were strict. They were just right. mean parents. You just got to reframe it into... Right. You accept oh, it. You reframe okay.
1: that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's one of the... And that allowed me to forgive.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There's
1: something that we learned um, the Dr. Matt James taught is that the power of forgiveness. And there was also one somebody in my life. I'm not going to say who specifically... They molested me as a child. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I took NLP and I did MER, which is mental emotional release exercise. And it wasn't until just recently in November of uh, 2019 that up until then, like I wasn't mad anymore. I was like, whatever happened, happened. I got to accept it, right? The past is the past. Mm -hmm. You can't change that shit. Great, Mm -hmm. fine. However, I couldn't get myself to forgive that person. And Mm -hmm. so what I realized was that I was telling myself I'm just going to have to wait until maybe before I die when I'm like on my deathbed, I I just want to like erase myself of anything, keeping me behind. I'll forgive him then. But I didn't realize that I had that capability inside. And once I forgave, it was a sense of freedom. And Mm -hmm. I wish that upon everybody. And when you're able to truly practice um, forgiveness, and there's a Hawaiian practice called Ho'oponopono, and, um, and you practice it, and you're able to forgive yourself, forgive the next person. You're just so enlightened, and you have that freedom. So to, to add to the mindfulness, Jesse, yeah. that, yeah, I am a work in progress. Mm-hmm. I clearly have the mouth of a sailor. Um, <laughs> I have no filter, and I'm hot-tempered, so I got uh-huh. to work on these things. So it's helped me be... A better person and that what I would love is to have inner peace. Okay. Because I find myself constantly irritable. I'm like, oh my god, why'd you park your car that way? Oh my god, can <laughs> you mow your lawn? Or like uh-huh. or why why are you calling me three times in a row? Like it's just it's just constant irritation and, and it's like a Buddha um, there's a Buddha saying that anger is like holding on to a piece of burning coal. The only person that you're hurting is yourself, right? So I, I recognize that I'm just working okay. through that.
0: So you, you, you said reframe and something else? Acceptance. Was it? in acceptance, okay. Reframe and, and acceptance. Follow
1: through with forgiveness.
0: Okay, follow through with forgiveness, I like that. Have you ever been fired from a job?
1: Mm-mm. However, firing someone is hard. That was very uncomfortable. I had to let somebody go.
0: And it was uh, uncomfortable because?
1: I may have this front that like, I'm a hard ass, right? uh huh uh-huh. But when it's somebody that you truly care about, and you believed in them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and because of particular circumstances, you had to let them go.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, that was a con. even I have like this heavy gut feeling right here in my under above my stomach, underneath my chest. Mm-hmm. Talking about it is, it's still a shitty feeling. Yeah. And and when you have, it's called a fierce conversation. When you have these fierce conversations, whether you're breaking up with somebody, or you're asking for a raise, or you're asking for an apology, what whatever the case may be, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And Is this what Susan a, Scott? Yes, Susan Susan Scott. There's there's a great book for that, which clearly you've read. Um, I want to share with you. Um, with your permission, I'm gonna grab a notebook and I'm gonna f- ruffle with them pages. Is that okay? Yeah, sure, of course. Okay. Let me find it first. I've got tips for that. Okay. When you wanna have those type of conversations, first off, you wanna set the intention, set the agreement with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I learned from NLP. You wanna handle, pre frame the handle the objections, I, or try to figure out like, after setting the intention, what is this person going to say? Mm-hmm. Well, I've worked really hard. I've worked my ass off for you. Or I've worked endless hours and I've sacrificed my family and I care about this team so much, right? You want to handle those. I know how hard you've worked and I know how many sacrifices that you've had. And I know how much you care about our team. And I know how much you're willing to sacrifice and give. And you've been giving all into it Preframe. Three is to give positive comments or compliments, whether it's, it's, I know that you're a really smart person and you have amazing work ethic and that you are a great businesswoman or businessman. Number four, explain the violation or the cross boundaries. And it is absolutely unacceptable when you decided to, whether it's, to not return the calls of your clients because mm-hmm. you had already put in your resignation. Resignation. That's your responsibility is still to take care of the clients up until the last day of your employment. The next one is ask if there's, um, explain how to win. And I want to make this a win for us. So just continue to contact. And if you need help, I'm here to help you. If you are too busy with uh with your clients and also if you have an interview our clients still need to be taken care of i want you to interview with as many firms as you want during this two-week period and how can i help you the -hmm. next one is give consequence this happens again we're going to effectively immediately terminate your contract with us in that moment and then seven, wrap up with a thank you. I really appreciate you meeting with this and I look forward to not us not having this again and, and moving forward mm-hmm. and whatever the, the case may be.
0: This wasn't actually firing someone, this was giving constructive feedback and letting them know next steps.
1: Yep, it's if basically, they want to do um, it. Um uh-huh. boundary discussion. When a boundary okay. has been violated violated yeah. and a boundary can mean I didn't appreciate how you talked to me in front of my family. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't appreciate how you showed up late for this meeting or the past couple of meetings, or I I or it could be um, someone that disrespected you, whatever uh-huh. boundaries may be, right?
0: Yeah, that model that you use it not only kind of gets straight to the point of what needs to be fixed, the the unfavorable behavior that that needs to be corrected. But it shows that compassion to it, and I like that right. as well. The human look. connection. Yeah, the human connection. Have you ever cried at work?
1: Oh my gosh, yes. And it was actually my most difficult points as a leader is that I always felt like I had to have seem to have my shit together. Like mm-hmm. nothing ever phases me. I always know what to do, or I have the answer. If not, I'll figure it out. But nothing can really take me down. I'm a strong leader. I learned really hard a couple years back when we didn't have enough agents and too much business to handle and all, all of the agents were really stressed out, worked to the ground and burning out that I became vulnerable and it was so scary, Jesse. Like
2: mm-hmm.
1: I basically told my team and I broke down, I cried, like like sobbing cried. Uh-huh. And so I I just cried and I just said I'm really sorry. I fucked up. I realized that my that I tend to prioritize work over anything else. And you guys shouldn't have to do the same. If you wanna take off Friday evenings, if you wanna have date night, you should do that. You shouldn't model how I live my life. And my way is not the right way and I don't know what I'm doing right now. And I'm frankly, I'm scared and I'm really sorry that I'm putting you guys through this. And it threw them off. Cause imagine mm-hmm. someone that always has their shit together to just crying and breaking down in front of them. I was scared because I thought they would never respect me again. They would I would be a laughing stock or considered a joke. And that they would not see me as a true leader and that I was not worthy of my position. What I learned later on is they had more respect for me for being mm-hmm. that vulnerable. And they truly did care about me and that they do feel that I was one of the best coaches or leaders that they've ever Mm -hmm. had. But I didn't, I wasn't feeling that way. I felt like I wasn't worthy and I wasn't good enough.
0: Yeah. So that vulnerability. So how can you be more vulnerable as a manager?
1: First off, we need to define what vulnerability looks like, right? Mm -hmm. To that person. For me, it's being more expressive of my feelings and my emotions of communicating my awareness to my own personal weaknesses and pitfalls and accepting that and admitting defeat when warranted. That's what vulnerability Mm -hmm. looks like for me. The Mm -hmm. opposite of that is walking around like my shit doesn't stink and pretending I know everything and that everything is always fine with Christina in Christina's world. Um, So to answer your question is you got to know you. And knowing who you are is a process. It involves heartbreaks. It involves triumph. It involves failing, succeeding, feeling loved, experiencing compassion, growing. And as a manager or a leader, if you are not always growing, by either reading a book, listening to a podcast, hence Jesse's podcast, uh-huh. <laughs> or, or learning something new,
2: mm-hmm.
1: then you're doing the people that you serve and lead a disservice. You always got to learn and grow. You don't have to know everything. So, the, so one of the things I learned is is learning how to say no. Mm-hmm. That was the hardest. When you say yes to something, you're saying no to 10 other things. Yeah. Knowing, knowing how to say no
0: and what to say no to and what right, to say, what yes to say to. no uh-huh. to
1: asking for help oh that was a hard one it, it mm-hmm. was hard for me to ask for help because I wanted to I didn't want to burden anybody I wanted to do everything no one to ask for help no one to say I'm sorry no one to stand your ground and know what your boundaries are so when you know those things, then you can get one step closer to vulnerability, right? Yeah. And when I say boundaries, it means that don't interrupt me when I speak to, it could be that, right? Or it could be when I'm in a meeting, I expect when I, we have a meeting, I expect you to show up on time to, it, it could be various things, mm-hmm. boundaries or emotional boundaries, physical professional work boundaries or um, personal. So um, I think that in order to be vulnerable, you gotta listen. Always come from contribution, have curiosity, and care. And okay. that way you'll understand how to actively listen, understand your people, and be vulnerable when warranted.
0: Can you describe yourself in terms of your gender, ethnicity, age, generation? Uh, just kind of like identify yourself,
2: Absolutely. what you would look like.
1: So I am a Vietnamese American, born and raised in Houston, Texas female. Have you ever been stereotyped? Yeah. People think as I'm Asian, I'm good at math. I suck at math. And so I tell people (laughs) that and they're like, really? Uh I'm like, yeah, man, I can't do math. I can't do your nails. I don't know how to do dry cleaning. (laughs) So I'm like a huge disappointment to you. And I just make them laugh.
0: Do you ever feel that if you don't tell this person, how will they ever learn?
1: No, because life will teach them.
0: Is it faith or is it karma or both? Somehow they will find out.
1: They're going to they're gonna run into someone that does take offense to that. Does that mean that like that I don't care about my parents mm-hmm. or my heritage? No, mm-hmm. that's not that's not how I feel about it. It's just that you have a lot of this person has a lot of probably had some sort of like was raised within a, uh, an environment of hatred and prejudice. Everyone has their own model of the world. This is mm-hmm. NLP again. Mm-hmm. When you're able to understand where they're coming from, yeah, you just get it. You just, just be adaptable. And everyone has their own history, their own background. So how you perceive things may be reflective of what your internal res- representation is based on your past experiences. Yeah. Right? I was never bullied, luckily, or my head was never p- flushed in a toilet because I was different skin color I never experienced that in fact I always felt like I was a part of the everyone's group growing up so my experience is different versus someone that may have been bullied every single day of their life and there's some resentment naturally as you would expect so it's just I just see it different
0: so lightning round just answer fast it's just a whole bunch of miscellaneous questions
1: what's my favorite color black (laughs) <laughs>
0: Just kidding. Good. what was your very first job volleyball coach really mm-hmm. uh, so cool how old were you 22 maybe that was your first job when yeah. you were 22 my parents didn't let me get a job they're oh like you got to do homework and you have time Same to get there. a job that you do more
2: homework yeah
0: what did you want to be when you grew up
1: as a kid i wanted to be a doctor or a teacher
0: we talked about this already but what college did you go to and what was your major
1: Went to U of H as pre-optometry as uh, a freshman, then I changed to undecided, then I graduated with advertising with a minor in marketing.
0: And then you got your master's Yes, and I got my
1: master's in marketing.
0: Did you have a superlative in high school? I was homecoming queen in high school. Really? Yeah. Oh, very cool.
1: But I do have a superlative in my uh, current job. We did like a like an Oscars event and uh-huh. I got voted to most likely win the
0: Hunger Games. I'm scared of you. Were you ever a cheerleader in high school? Because usually homecoming queens.
1: Mm-mm. Yeah. I would think, right? Um, yeah.
0: I was in volleyball, mm-hmm.
1: all volleyball. Then uh-huh. some high jumping and track. Then uh-huh. I was just friends with like football players, cheerleaders, band, okay. symphony. People that played pogs in the hallway with greasy hair and never showered. Like I was just friends with everybody. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Were you ever considered as a smart kid in class?
1: Yes, because I worked hard.
0: Would you say you're more hardworking than naturally smart? Yeah. What do or did your parents do for work?
1: So my dad worked in this manufacturing company, which really helped keep guys away. Growing up, he made parts for guns. And your mom? Uh, She owns a boutique store.
0: What did your parents want you to be?
1: Anything but an artist. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay. Yeah, that's Vietnamese parents.
1: Yeah, because I got my master's and I had a meltdown. I was just like, I got this for you because I got tired of your friends giving you (laughs) shit and giving me shit because I wasn't a doctor. And so they're like, we never cared what you did as long as you weren't an artist and trying to draw stuff.
0: What's the most expensive house you sold?
1: Uh, I would say $2 We've got one listed right now for five million. If you want anybody with a big man-made lake and a zip line. <laughs> wow. Monastery.
0: How many rows of toilet paper do you currently have?
1: Thirty-two right there. Eight in
0: that closet. Six and four. You are stocked up. Okay. Um. <laughs> do you put the toilet paper over or over. under? Uh uh-uh, uh. Oh. Over. I can't. Really? We can't be
1: friends if you're under,
0: dude. Really? Yeah. I, would you Would you pay fifteen dollars for a salad?
1: I have paid $15 for a salad.
0: Do you wear the same clothes every day or do you style it up?
1: I, yeah, I'll re I'll rewear my jeans like three days in a row until it starts to really stink and I'll wash it. <laughs> nice, like, nice. You now you wanna not yeah. have it fade.
0: What's your vertical?
1: Dude, now, like <laughs> barely one foot off the ground. Uh-huh. High school and college, like I could touch the top of the rim of a basketball.
0: Wow. Yes. All right, let's go to career advice. What advice would you give someone who wants to be better at standing up for themselves and not taking shit from others?
1: Know your worth. hmm Are you worth it, right? Because sometimes it gets to a point where you're accepting all of this and you're not standing up for yourself. It's knowing if what you're fighting for is worth it. Are you worth it? And are what you're fighting for worth it? If so... What would happen if you didn't stand up for yourself? What would you gain if you did stand up for yourself? And then recognize all of that. And it takes courage. It's the the quote that life begins outside of your comfort zone. I can't stress Mm -hmm. that enough. You have to, must, these are true modal operators, believe in yourself that you are worth it to fight for yourself. And if not, who the fuck is going to fight for you? No one's gonna do it for you. You're a grown ass adult. You're not gonna have mommy and daddy help you. God's gonna be there for you, but you gotta take some action, right? Mm -hmm. And you gotta do it in a way where if I do this, what am I benefiting out of it? Am I gonna hurt anybody? And if Mm -hmm. I am hurting somebody, am I gonna be okay with it? Am I gonna regret that? You gotta think about the consequences too. And this doesn't mean standing up for yourself doesn't mean you gotta get into a fight. Setting up for yourself means having a fierce conversation. When I had to have one, I wrote it down. I typed out in bullet points and I had key rocks of what I wanted to cover, like how this hurt my feelings and how, what I wanted to see. Like I'd like for us moving forward to do blah body, blah, blah, blah. However, if this doesn't happen, here are the consequences. I had to type it down. And then when I had the conversation over the phone, I was shaking,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I was
1: nervous, but I knew I had a skeleton of what I wanted to cover. So that would yeah. be my advice.
0: What is your advice for someone who wants to advance in their career?
1: Understanding the company. For example, in the company that I work for, the leadership team is always watching. And they look for certain things that are values that pertain to personal accountability, integrity, positivity, solution-based, and team-focused. Oh, Uh and also servant leadership is another one of our values. So if those, for example, are the values of the firm that you work at, Make sure that you take action. It's all about taking action and showing up in that space. And so when you understand your audience, then you know how to take the next step. In this situation in my company, the audience are a team of leadership folks that values those current values. So how can I show up in that space consistently in a way where it's authentic and you show yourself, right? You got to understand who you're dealing with, otherwise... If someone focused on like making money, making money and you're over here being working in integrity and servant leadership, that leader who is focused on making money may not give a shit about how these how you're showing up in these other spaces. Then you be the number one top producer and making that company money so that you can show up and catch their attention. And also walk up to your, your manager or whatever and just say, hey, I just, I just want to see if there's anything else that I can do to help. I'm, I'm, I'm loving what I'm seeing here and happening with the company, and I want to be a part of that. And I would like to see how I can help our business thrive and help us move forward. And then you get feedback like, hey, I, just, I want to be the best person I can be. Do mm-hmm. you mind giving me some feedback of what I can be doing differently so I can get to better? And getting that, and getting them feel validated, and understand that person as well. Are yeah. they egotistic? Do they need, from a psychological standpoint, a couple of compliments for you to get their attention? Or are they a servant leader where you can say, "Hey, I really appreciate, and I love that you pour into us so much." Mm-hmm. Right. Be authentic mm-hmm. about it, though. Just yeah. you got to understand who you're talking to.
0: Yeah, and I like how you're soliciting that feedback. You're not waiting for the manager to give you their feedback. You're going up to that manager and asking straight. Be bold and take action and know, nice.
1: know your worth and who you're talking to would be my advice. Okay.
0: What is your advice on how to motivate a team uh, and get their best work?
1: First and foremost is hire the right people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When you
1: have okay. the right people, it's a lot easier to move that needle as a team. When you don't have the right people and you have a group of people that are fully engaged and a group that are disengaged, The negative impact of the disengaged people can be cancerous to your Mm -hmm. organization. So you got to make sure Mm -hmm. you hire the right people. Um, Again, going back to vulnerable, be authentic, right? Connect Mm -hmm. with them. And I truly, I care about the people that I serve. I care about their kids, about what's important to them, what their goals are. And their family's goals, whether it's, mm-hmm. I want to buy my first home to, I want to be a leader. I want to be a trainer, just like you, Christina, whatever that may be, you work on seeing what they don't see in themselves, believing in them. And you want to coach the person, not the problem. What do you mean by that? Like, say the problem is you're not selling enough houses. Mm-hmm. Duh, that's the problem, right? You don't coach to that you coach to what were some hurdles and challenges that you experienced that kept you from hitting your goal that you set for yourself so the challenge is i'm working from home and i got sick and i'm t- trying to take care of my kids and the teacher's hounding me that because they're grading their kids now and i haven't taught them a thing since coronavirus happened okay so then what can we do so that we're, there's a schedule that's better set so that you can take care of your kids while still maintain your own business moving forward that is coaching to that person. If I was okay. problem focused, I'd be like, why didn't you hit your numbers? How many clients do you have? Why, why didn't you call any of them?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: That's managing. And then there's a difference between leading and managing and so when you lead you understand the people that you work with and i am their servants i am mm-hmm. there to help them in the whatever they need whatever space they need so to help keep them motivated i also understand the personalities I have one agent that is okay being isolated he likes he likes being on his own i've got two or three that are high eyes that they need the human connection so I pick up the phone, I call them, I'll get on Zoom, we'll do a happy hour together, we'll, we'll shoot the shit, we'll play house party and play games on our apps, like we'll connect. And so it's knowing what's important to them and how to make them happy. And then when we're all happy, I motivate them. Or there's times where I was like, you guys are doing great and we just need 10 more contracts and we're almost mm-hmm. there. Let's just pull out whatever we have and figure it out. And there's times where I'm like, hey guys, if you don't do this, you're not going to have business three months from now. It's because you didn't follow up in March and April. And Mm -hmm. it depends. You just got to know the balance of having that kind of conversation versus a more of um, encouraging conversation.
0: Okay. Any books, articles, resources you recommend?
1: HBR, Harvest Business Reviews, Book of Leadership. Brene's Brown book, Dare to Lead. Simon Sinek book, Start with Why. Simon Sinek with Leaders Eat Last um the alchemist is a really good book i also love the five love languages if you haven't mm-hmm. read that it really will help you re- elevate your relationships look at look into emotional intelligence
0: is it a specific book emotional intelligence or any type it's of e.i. E-K. right there
1: it's a hbr's uh-huh. and i have you notice my books are focused on people how it mm-hmm. makes makes some tick and yeah. leadership is because that's just something that i focus on but if you were to ask me what is the number one hands down any age is oh the places you'll go by dr seuss (laughs) it is such a good book as a kid Uh it's a great graduation gift for high schoolers and college students Uh and it's got lots of really good
0: you know life stories in there awesome christina thank you so much Oh man, I learned a lot from you today. It's nice to have, uh, after what, like 15 years or so, have reconnected with you. So thanks for doing this um, episode with me. A lot of what you said was talking about like self-awareness, asking those powerful questions, not only to your clients and and the people who you're coaching, but to yourself as well, to be self-aware of what you like, what you don't like, what your boundaries are. And from first knowing yourself and being aware of yourself and your needs, you can understand what you need and understand what other people need as well. So I like that. Uh, sometimes when I talk to people or when I go to like seminars and webinars, they're very like theoretical,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but you are very practical. You gave me those exact questions that I can ask not only myself or other people. So thank you for that as well.
1: I, w- I will say I can't take any street cred for that. Uh, those questions were provided by another coach that we learned from and, um, and also, if you're going to take anything out of this podcast and continue to learn and grow is make sure you have a mentor, right? At least two. Uh-huh. Um, it could be in your field of work or not and learning to grow and continue to grow by having a, a coach, whether it's a life coach or a business coach. And, and so that's really helped attributed my growth and my business success through today mm-hmm. because of those people that chose to take a leap of
0: faith on me and to pour into me. How do you find a mentor?
1: Ask. So figure out, mm-hmm. like, for example, for you, I mean, if you don't mind me putting you yeah. on the spot, Jesse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have a vision for mm-hmm. these podcast series, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to connect people through similar experiences and growth, who do you know that is an expert when it comes to human connection and communication that you know you can pick their brain and ask from?
0: honestly you just from learning (laughs) just from talking to you i'm like holy cow you know a lot nlp and this uh, you know all all the terminologies and the books that you read christina will you be my mentor (laughs) (laughs) yes i would be my honor i was thinking you would pick like a professor somebody (laughs) you don't have to be a professor right i think it's anyone you can learn from yeah I think it's you, to be honest. I
1: was not, I'm sweating now. My armpits are sweating. I wasn't (laughs) expecting that answer. (laughs) My butt's starting to sweat right now too. It is okay if you leave this in the recording. You have my permission.
0: So that wraps the episode. And as you heard, I found me a mentor, a sweaty butt mentor, but still a mentor. Now, here's your challenge. Do you have a mentor? And if not, reach out to someone who you admire and can learn from. And this person doesn't need to be older than you or an expert in a particular field. Just someone that you feel you can connect to and someone you can learn from. And you can always reach out to me if you need help finding one. Thanks for listening. See you later. Bye.